0: this is episode number 137 of the rising man podcast with matthew bruce we repeat what we don't repair welcome back rising man family thanks for jumping on here today jetty azuma at your service to host this episode for those of you who don't know me i'm also the creator and founder of the rising man movement Everything that we're about is woven into this podcast, and everything that we are up to in the world is also woven into risingman.org, our lovely website created by my bro, Rowan Tyne. We are about helping men elevate themselves in their lives. We are raising the standard of what it means to be a man in our society so that the future generations have men that they can count on, to be service-oriented, to be protectors and providers, and to be the men that they came here to be. So whether it's our virtual fire circles, or it's our inferno fire circles, where you get to be on a team with me for 12 weeks, or you come out and fast with us for four days out in the wilderness for compass, all those opportunities are going to help you become more of that man that you know you can be. So if you haven't gone and checked it out already, go to risingman.org, peruse the site, see what calls you, see what is asking you to step forward and lean into it because that's where it's happening. You know, listening to this podcast is wonderful Give you some new ideas, different perspectives Different practices and strategies for leading your own life But if you really want to make a change You gotta get in the game So if you're sitting on the sidelines, then take a jump Let's go, we're waiting for you All right, my guest for today is Matthew Bruce. Matthew is a former Australian soldier turned meditation teacher. With deployments to Afghanistan and with time spent supporting the Special Forces, he struggled to integrate back into society and suffered from PTSD for a number of years. Through a combination of holistic practices, he was able to rediscover his love for himself and others around him. While living in Bali, Matt wrote a book called Warrior's War to support the men of the world suffering from PTSD. He's now committed to helping transform the planet by supporting men to transmit their truth via a digital agency called the Men's Work Collective. In this episode, Matthew gives us a first-hand look into the experience of a highly traumatized person. His military assignment in Afghanistan on a base that received over 270 rocket strikes in a year left him battered and numb. Matthew articulated the life of someone living with PTSD and explained why anger becomes the prevailing expression for all the underlying emotions. We spoke about the expectations our culture has on soldiers and men in general. To be hard and stoic without having healthy avenues to express their traumas. We dove into trauma release strategies, including breath work, meditation, and other transformational experiences, and why it's important to share your traumatic history with a facilitator prior to this work to ensure that you will be taken care of. And last but not least, Matthew offered his beliefs around how someone with severe trauma can pull him or herself out of it with the help of the right people. If he can do it, anyone can do it. Without further ado, Matthew Bruce. Rising Man family, I've got a brother joining me from all the way on the other side of the world. One of my favorite countries, Australia, over there in Perth, my man, Matthew Bruce. Thanks for being on here today, bro. Good morning, brother. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's truly it's really an honor, man. And I know that everybody will have heard about you in the intro, that you are a veteran, that you are a soldier in the Australian Army, and all of the incredible work you're doing helping other veterans heal their PTSD It's just so necessary. And when you reached out to me, I was like, we got to get this message out there. So, So thank you for the work you do. And thank you for coming on here to share your story, too.
1: Yeah, thank you, brother. PTSD is huge. In Australia alone, I think it's 12% of Australians at some point in their life will have PTSD, which equates to 3.5 million. And I know some of the statistics in America are roughly just in domestic violence cases alone that American citizens will have about 20 million people suffering from PTSD just from domestic violence alone within your country. So this is, this is huge. And probably one of the biggest problems within Australia is about two-thirds of that 12% go undiagnosed. So we have, you know, quite a large amount of people walking around with trauma, as we know, within in their body, not living their best life and not being their best and kind of going into society in that way. So it's huge.
0: Yeah, man. And I'm glad that you opened up by just saying PTSD for all people, because obviously your experience of PTSD comes from being a veteran and from the experiences you had. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. And obviously there's so many more people that experience traumatic events and suffer from this post-traumatic stress disorder. So before we jump into that, because I know that's going to carry us on a journey of talking about trauma, I wanted to ask you, what do you think it means to be a man? I'd definitely say ownership
1: and standing up for what's right, not necessarily for yourself, but for your community and being that aspect of a leader and standing up for the greater good.
0: Mm-hmm. I love that answer. And so, just to build off of that, what do you think is the difference between a boy and a man?
1: The boy just hasn't been taught or hasn't shown that capability yet. Yeah, but it's within him. And yeah, hopefully, just a matter of time. Yeah. All right.
0: So, now a personal question. When do you think you became a man?
1: Ooh, not that long ago, to be honest. Yeah, probably only the last few years. You know, I grew up in a very small country town. My father didn't have a high level of emotional intelligence. He was an extremely intelligent man, like very good at making money, but the level of the emotional intelligence that I had within my family was really, really, really low. So I couldn't be a man until I understood myself. And it's been a journey from, you know, after war and after PTSD, etc., for me to find myself, find my heart, find my identity, find my center, find my truth, you know, and from there, build a life around myself that feels good for me. And then I'd say in that process is when I've actually claimed my manhood,
0: yeah. Hmm. Beautiful. And I'm sure that's what we're going to unpack a little bit in this conversation. So was there a specific moment or event that occurred where you could go back and say, this is really when I feel like I claimed manhood or became a man?
1: Yeah, I'd say probably in standing in my boundaries. You know, I think that my ex-partner was playing the role of my father, a bit of a father wound of crossing my boundaries and it wasn't until I, I stood up and stood in my boundaries and, you know, did what was right for myself and in me taking control of that and empowering myself in that, I was definitely standing in in my truth. You know, I wasn't swayed emotionally from the outside and I could stand in my center and not be swayed from external uh, influences. Yeah, so that was quite powerful for myself to stand in that. But I'm sure on this journey, I could always go a layer deeper. And we always think that we're there um, and there's always another layer. So to say that I'm anywhere is kind of, you know, a bit of an illusion as well that I'm, I'm aware of. And, you know, I know that I can always go deeper into myself and I can always evolve as a man as well.
0: Yeah. That's why I love asking these trick questions, right? Cause it's, can you actually point to a moment in time where you became a man? You know, they're, they're, for me, there's defining moments that when I think of claiming my manhood that really stand out moments that I'll never forget, they're like imprinted on my psyche. But To say that there's one singular moment where no, I was a boy five seconds ago, and now I'm a man, is hard. I mean, I don't even think it's realistic. There's ceremonies that we do to acknowledge crossing into manhood or claiming manhood, but apart from that, I feel like it's more along the lines of what you said. It's a constant becoming of a man, and more so, more so, more so, if you keep following that journey.
1: And it's the embodiment in today's society. You know, we can all go away and do the work. We can go away and dive into ourselves in ceremony but it's how we apply ourselves back in the real world that is you know actually the claim of of being a man as well too you know it's the embodiment when no one's around it's the embodiment of standing in your truth regardless and always is you know that's the that's the claim to being a man
0: yeah and so let's pivot from there because I have a lot of beliefs around the warrior archetype and I know for myself growing up like a lot of boys, I think, maybe not all, but a lot of boys were very drawn and attracted to this image of a warrior, you know, holding a gun, going into battle, going up against an opponent, protecting the innocent, those ideals that we have as boys that we see on cartoons and then movies and depicted in all different types of media, give us an impression of what war and being a warrior is all about. And I've never been in combat and so, I wanted to ask you if you could paint a picture of what actual combat looks like. And also, why is PTSD such a common thing for men and women coming out of those experiences? Because people like myself, we really don't have any idea. We watch movies. And of course, that's not the whole picture.
1: Yeah. So pretty complex questions there. But I guess combat for myself was probably a little bit different to most soldiers. So I was in the Australian Army. I was in a large base called Kandahar Airfield. And I think over a six-month period, we're rocketed about 270 times. So uh, 270 rockets that fly into your base. And, you know, ultimately, there's a fight-or-flight response that happens within a human being when they're under a rocket attack, which is, hey, my life could end. Uh, and in that fight-or-flight response, there's normally a reaction of fear that comes up. So uh, when you're in a uh, environment where you're having these constantly, we have, I guess, roles and archetypes that we play even within the military around being the tough guy not allowing ourselves to display fear and repressing our emotions so I think on probably rocket attack number three I started to disconnect from any form of fear and disconnect from any form of emotion that I had within my body and once we start to repress our emotion in that fashion we're basically become a ticking time bomb and if you're not allowing yourself to you know move through emotions such as you know, your life ending or being in fear. And let's just say, even if it's a car crash, for example. So let's just say you've been in a car crash and you're not at war and your body has that same reaction. Hey, I think I'm going to die. And you constrict on all levels. You constrict in your mind, you constrict in your nervous system, you constrict in your fascia. If you don't allow yourself to move that through, you're basically disassociated from your emotions because you're in a form of survival mode. And in that survival mode, your emotions and all of these things, they're only a nice to have, you know, joy, compassion, love, empathy, all of these things that we feel in the outside world, they are not necessary when you're in survival. And if you can't clear that survival mechanism out of your mind, out of your body, out of your fascia, out of your nervous system, you're, you're never really going to get back to, to full health. And it's a bit of a process.
0: So let let me interject there for a minute because I'm checking in with myself. I watch a lot of these war movies and I'm notorious for watching samurai films because there's just something about that culture I love. My father's Japanese. And I'm just checking in with myself as you say this. And I'm realizing that obviously there's a glorified version of the commando warrior GI who can, in the face of those rocket attacks, access courage access bravery who can you know give out the battle cry and charge into enemy fire to you know save himself and other people there's that hollywood element to ah that i know a part of me wants to be that guy because i know that if i'm in my own fight or flight response even if it's not combat i want to be the guy who does that who puts my emotion down and can charge into the moment so that
1: yeah that guy is being conditioned to be able to do that so, you know, all the training that's led up to that point where he represses his, you know, emotions and, and goes forth is a reaction. And it's a reaction based on the training that he's received. No different for the samurai is learning how to react in, in certain ways, yeah, you know, and not being the fact that he could have his head removed, yeah, and he's training before he actually goes out there to charge. So it's all a matter of conditioning of the nervous system, conditioning of the emotions, conditioning of your reactions to then at some point react without responding. Because if you were going to respond, you would say, hey, that's another human being. I'm another human being. Why would I want to take another human being's life?
0: Sure. I mean, that's exactly the point is that you're only able to access that after repetition after repetition of stuffing and the emotion down, stuffing down the natural response to just condition a reaction that is useful, quote unquote, in combat. And I think especially when we look at these Hollywoodized versions of war, a lot of that is missed. I mean, I know there's a lot of films that have done their best to capture that now and really tell a more full, complete story of what it means to be in combat. But still, I mean, how much of that story is not told in those accounts for what it's like for soldiers?
1: Yeah, I don't think they truly understand the disassociation from your identity. You know, and they'll, they'll play a role of the broken soldier when the broken soldier returns home. But, you know, for a soldier to actually unpack, you know, PTSD and to reclaim their identity and rebuild their identity is steep work. Like, you know, I've probably done about 80 sessions of breath work and meditate for, you know, twice a day for several years for me to be able to get to this point. And so they don't show the disassociation from my identity and when we're disassociating from our identity, we're disassociating from our morals, we're disassociating from our standards our, and our inner world, and we're lost. And you'll see that's why you know, veterans are, are in, the, in the forest or why they're drinking beers or why they're walking around like zombies on medication is because their inner world is so disconnected and they're lost in their inner world, so their outside world is reflecting that as well too. And, yeah, that uh, disassociation from who you are as an individual because I guess ultimately... When you go into the military, you are stripped of who you are and ultimately you get a new name, you get a new way of acting. And basically you actually have to perform in a certain way. Otherwise, you know, you're disciplined. So then you're actually projecting this new sense of self out into the world, which isn't you.
0: Wow. So paint a picture of what it's like to walk around in the world with PTSD. Because obviously, like you said, you've done several hours and years of work to get to a point where you can really talk about it in an objective way. So for those of us who haven't experienced it, or maybe who are experiencing it and don't even know what to call it, what is it like to be so in that? And what does the world look like around you?
1: Anger. Like ultimately your, your emotions are so shoved down and you're sitting on a volcano of emotions that we all know that, you know, if, if a brother's got a really deep heart wound and they don't want to cry, the first thing that they project is anger. So if you're walking around on this volcano of emotion, anger, it's just anger everywhere. And then your neural pathways within your mind, your neural pathways and your cognitive functions within your body just basically become addicted to anger and acting in that certain way. You're basically looking everywhere. You're hypervillagent still looking for something to be angry at. You're looking for a way to constrict because as soon as you get angry at something, you constrict again, which is your natural state of being you're used to being so constricted from your military service that you're looking for something to be angry at. So then you can actually constrict again and then you can be in the normal circumstances. You know, one of the most difficult parts of removing PTSD is allowing your nervous system to become open and allowing your nervous system to be free again. And all it wants to do is self-sabotage itself is to go play small again and go back into that mode of constriction. So you've really got to do a lot of work to get to that level of your nervous system to keep it, to remain open in modern
0: society and through the challenges
1: that you know pop up in the modern world.
0: Right. Even now, I can see that there's, you got such a great way of explaining it and describing it. I'm wondering are you aware that something is off, that something's wrong when you're in PTSD, when you're still entrenched in it?
1: Not really, because the disassociation from your emotions is so strong and so normal that you're so used to disassociating from your emotions that you're so quickly to push your emotion down that you'll jump straight into a story and you'll be operating from a place of story, not from the place of, of what's happening within here that, yeah, that's your default. So it can be quite difficult to start to to have a normal life where you're not actually looking to disconnect. And I'll be honest, like a large part of my disconnection was through alcohol, through drugs, through sex. And I was really at the red for a number of years where I couldn't handle, you know. I honestly see why some veterans live in the forest these days because the nervous system just can't handle anything more. And, you know, drugs and alcohol are, are the escape from a nervous system that just doesn't want to has to deal with something or doesn't want to have to deal with the pandora's box of emotion that could come out
0: so is there something else you could equate it to let's say that any of us listening hear that and we're like man i don't think i've ever experienced real heavy ptsd because we've all experienced trauma in some capacity but ptsd i think deserves its own you know category of experience so is there another way you could describe what the feeling or the sensation of being in that is so that we can all relate to it more
1: oh you know Have you ever felt rejection in your heart? And have you ever just jumped straight into anger and you're not allowed yourself to feel that emotion and you've just jumped straight into a story and you're accusing the other person and you're in that story of anger? Yeah, I think it's like that for every emotion within your body. Oh, wow.
0: That you just automatically go down the same road towards anger no matter what comes up? Yeah, automatically
1: disassociating from the feelings that happen with inside you. Yeah.
0: Oh, man. So how do you, I know there's, More and more resources becoming available. Thank God that there's people like you who've found your way to healing, and that you're going back and not leaving anyone behind. How did you find your way to healing? Because to me, it sounds like such a dark, isolated place. I can't imagine that anybody makes it out.
1: Yeah, I think the answer is just somatic therapy, and you know, ultimately, tools like breath work are huge. Uh, Even men's work is massive. Men's work has been huge for me in in healing in just allowing myself to feel comfortable with other men, allowing myself to express my emotions because, you know, as we've been in that survival mechanism for so long, we have to basically reparent ourselves, learn how to react or talk with other individuals again. So, you know, even just learning how to sit down with another man and talk about your feelings is a skill that you need to learn again because you've been in survival mechanism for so long that, You know, that hasn't been apparent. And yeah, somatic therapy, just being able to drop into your body and allowing yourself to feel that emotion, to be comfortable with that emotion and not allowing yourself to jump into a story or or jump out of it. You know, that's the work and and allowing yourself to just build those new neural pathways and those new cognitive functions that you can re-control your inner world again, I guess.
0: Mm. What comes up for me as you're sharing that is... I think of uh, Peter Levine's book, Waking the Tiger, which uh, I, are you you're familiar with, him, I'm sure?
1: I'm uh, Not actually, yeah. Ah,
0: okay, Peter Levine, Waking the Tiger. It's a great one. I mean, you probably would just be nodding your head all the whole time while you're reading it because it's everything that you said. Yeah, okay. He does a deep dive into the explanation around traumatic experiences and what happens with trauma, how it lives in our bodies and how it becomes compartmentalized. And his sterling example is the gazelle that gets chased down by the cheetah and gets away. That if you watch them after that encounter, their, you know, their body's trembling and shaking and they kind of shake it off and then they can rejoin the herd. But that somatic release is what you're describing, what he's talking about in his book, that we as humans, we don't do that. We don't allow ourselves to have that. We have a car accident and then we want to process it by like, you know, our body starts to tremble, but... Somewhere we learned or conditioned ourselves to compress and compartmentalize the emotional response, either because it's, it's too vulnerable to be really emotional, just exploding and crying is something that is actually kind of taboo, especially if you're a guy. So anyway, that's what he talks about, his traumatic response. And when you talk about traumas, I think one of the things that pops up in my mind, because he also talks about trauma making an imprint. I remember being at a sleepover at my best friend's house. I was probably nine years old. And one of my, so I was with my friend and he had an older sister and she had a bunch of friends over. And I remember I fell asleep and one of his sister's friends grabbed some maple syrup and started pouring it on my head. And I remember I woke up and I was like, what's going on? You know, kind of like dazed and confused. And and I look up and everyone's laughing at me. And I just felt so embarrassed. I didn't know what to do. I just kind of contracted. I didn't want to cry because that would make it worse, right? So I just kind of like, hey, this is great, funny. Brothers, yeah. Yeah. And it's funny because, I mean, I've had a lot of relationships and releases in men's circles, but that still like lives in me. It still has an imprint on me. And, you know, I don't hold anything against this guy anymore, but it's amazing how these traumas can leave such an impression and they go unresolved. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Have you done much breath work? Like, you know? Yeah, I've probably done maybe a dozen sessions. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Mm Yeah.
1: Have you done one with the intention of revisiting that specifically?
0: Not that specific trauma. I've done that with intentionally with other traumas and other things I've experienced and I've had some really powerful ones. Actually, Timmy Tim Morrison came over here. Shout out to Tim Morrison, your buddy. He came over here and led a breathwork session at the Sacred Suns Convergence, and we were both guest facilitators. And I was like, "Oh, let me take your breathwork. I've done you know I've done it before, but let's do it." One of the most profound experiences in my life. Full blown visions, like seeing colors with my eyes closed, seeing my future, like unbelievable. But really, had that full somatic release. My body was like. Poof my chest was off the floor and I was crying and, you know, him and the other guy who were there were just holding space and helped me work through it. And feeling the emptiness, the vacancy that was left in me after that release was just, it was magical, man. It was euphoric, which I'm sure you know all about.
1: Yeah. Big shout out to Timmy Morrison as well, too. He's a very powerful brother and yeah, we're very blessed to be able to be held by other men in our lives that can take us that deep into breath work. And yeah, such a powerful tool and, You know, I'd highly recommend this to anyone who's listening, who has PTSD or who knows anyone that has PTSD, that breathwork journeys are such a massive part of healing. You know, we can talk and we can use EMDR and all these other types of therapy that are very associated with the mind. But, you know, you spoke about it, that compartmentalization that lives within our body. And unless we move that out of our nervous system, we're always going to have a form of constriction, a form of blockage that lives within our fascia and, and it is holding us back. So yeah, it's extremely powerful, a very, very powerful practice.
0: Yeah. Yeah, man. So breathwork aside, let's pretend that there's a guy out there. Let's say there's a veteran somewhere from, you know, central United States who's hearing this, who can relate to your story, but has no concept of breathwork. I'm imagining a man who. Kind of represents this archetype of a soldier coming back from service who has PTSD, who most of society will cast him aside because they don't know what to do with him. And they feel threatened and and fearful of all that energy, whether they are consciously aware of it or just instinctually aware of it. How does a guy like that find his way into this work? How do you reach a guy who's another soldier who's really beat up and hurting? What do you say to that guy to get him to even consider this type of stuff?
1: You need to say to him, brother, are you ready to take radical responsibility? You know, and that's it. You need to take full ownership, 100% radical responsibility over your circumstances and where you're at in your life. And it doesn't matter where you've been or what your story is, or, you know, if we are feeling in victim mode, we need to just take 100% responsibility. And, you know, that looks like doing the hard work, like no more beers, like no more drinking, you know, eating a healthy diet. You know, these are the baselines for healing PTSD that you know our body is is in shock it's in trauma our cells are being conditioned and we really need to give it the best fuel and the best circumstances for change so you know we need to take responsibility to step away from our friends that are influencing us to do things like that we need to take ownership over our mind and the conditioning that it's received you now our minds are such a large part of PTSD that You know, we don't want to create the future again, and we're projecting the past into the future. And this is just a loop that just will keep on happening for the end of time, unless we take responsibility and learn how to meditate and learn what's happening within our mind. So then we can actually start to stop some of those processes. And then, you know, once you have your mind in check, you have your body in check and the substances that you're putting in it, and you've created an environment for yourself around you that is healing, then that's when you go forth and go into the deeper aspects like breath work as well.
0: Yeah, man. I imagine that there's a surrender point for everyone. I'm sure it's different, like a breaking point. Some people would call it a rock bottom where you just finally say enough is enough. And unfortunately, I think a lot of people who suffer from PTSD, their rock bottom usually has pretty grave consequences. Either they're hurting someone else or themselves severely. So I wonder what that was for you. Did you have a moment where you hit the bottom and said, I got to do something because this isn't working anymore?
1: Yeah, I'd lost a a relationship of eight years. So lost my fiance. That was a drug addict. You know, I was drinking alcohol. I was taking sleeping pills to get like two hours sleep a night. And I pushed all of my friends away, all of my family away. And yeah, I was I was hanging. I was miserable, and I was looking for miserable company. You know, I was hanging out with miserable people that were of the same circumstances as myself. You know, and I think I like probably lost $250,000, $300,000, you know, in that circumstances of losing my partner, selling my house, losing all of my house savings, uh, all of my life savings, etc. cetera. And yeah, I was at the rock bottom.
0: Wow. And so what was the light that shone through just enough to pull you out of it? What was the first thing?
1: I was actually like, I probably had a bit of an awakening, to be honest. Yeah, it was kind of like, in you know, all of that struggle one day, I just... My mind just went like that uh, and I had like a bit of a, an awakening to know that, yeah, it was like a pop, a big bang went off in my head. I could see that there was a new possibility for me and there was another direction and that I knew that, you know, what I, I guess ultimately the way that I could explain it was the ego or our mind is happy doing whatever it's doing until it knows that like it's not going to die. You know, that's what our mind is trying to do. Our mind is trying to just recreate the past into the present because from a reward system perspective, from a dopamine perspective, it's kind of like what's keeping us safe. And as long as you're not going to die, the mind is happy to do what it's like keep on doing. But I guess the mind maybe ran a calculation of the path that I was really on and the mind was like, oh, holy shit, if we keep heading down this path, we're not going to survive anymore. So then the mind maybe did like a 180 and said, all right, we need to move in another direction to survive. And I guess that's what the mind is all about is that survival mechanism. And it basically come to a decision one day that the path that I was on, I wasn't actually going to survive. And that the reward mechanism of me receiving dopamine and me feeling good was not going to work anymore. So then I had to find another way of feeling good and moving in another direction of me not dying. And that was me doing the work, you know, and I guess that probably happens for a lot of people on the path that they have a lot of struggle and then they do a 180 in they head in the other direction you know, and that's another bit of a trap of the mind as well, too. We can kind of get stuck on that because we can do so much work, but we're still trying to think that we need to be healing or we need to be feeling better and we can get stuck in that aspect of the mind and we need to go, all right, well, I'm not a problem anymore. I'm not broken and I can jump off this, off this ride as well, too, and then I can just be as opposed to being stuck in that action loop of needing to feel better. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, it does. Let's talk about that a little bit, because I see some people like that who are almost addicted to the work, right? Like the work did so much for them, you know, meditation, breath work, coaching, personal development, workshops, etc. did so much for them that they plateau at that point because they're always looking for the next fix, right? The next program, the next workshop, the next audio book podcast to consume, to fill a void. And I think some people, I mean, I know I would definitely would say that that's better than drugs, alcohol, sex, violence, but it's not all that different. Like you're saying that it's not actually filling, it's only filling a void temporarily. It's not actually leading to full healing. So, so yeah, man, talk a little bit more about that. Cause I think there's a lot of people who wouldn't even know that that's going on.
1: Yeah. That's just a program, you know, it's the same program that led you in the direction of you suffering. And now you're just starting to you're, I guess, suffering another way because, you know, ultimately you're still thinking, hey, I'm not fixed, I'm not whole. And I guess when your intention to step into the work is coming from a place of being broken, deep down inside that, hey, I'm not fixed, I need to take a step forward to be fixed and I've got a problem and doing the work is the solution and that kind of um, baseline program will still exist unless you actually acknowledge, hey, you know, I don't need to do any more work, I am whole right now in this moment. I always was whole in every moment and I never was broken. I just needed to actually like evolve or be a little bit better. And it's when we have that identity rooted in being broken, that we'll always place a solution on the outside of us and be moving towards that. And, you know, I think that's a large part of conditioning in today's modern society around problem-based solution. You know, we can see that the media and a few other like our uh, systems around the world are are always putting a problem in front of us and then giving us a solution. So that program is quite deep and that's running in society quite a lot. So even when for that to work its way into, you know, the work or spirituality or people who are seeking, yeah, it's just a program that runs a society and takes a lot of meditation to be able to see that one and to be able to hop off it.
0: Oh, I'm so glad you said that one too, man, because that, I know we started off talking about your experience of PTSD and just, and then we migrated into everyone's experience of trauma, but that one is so critical to talk about too. Because I see a lot of people around me who are so glued to the story that they have a problem and that they are a problem and that they're sick, they're broken, they're wounded, they're mentally ill. I've got XYZ disorder because someone told me a long time ago and they get attached to that narrative and don't want to let it go because the only way that they've made sense of their life and their pain is by fitting it into the story or this narrative of who they are, who they became. When really from an objective perspective, I look and I say, dude, there's nothing wrong with you. The only thing that's wrong with you is that you keep believing that you have something wrong with you and that you're more focused on that being the problem than actually moving towards what the solution is. And you know it right away because if you see someone who's fighting for their problems, who's like, no, but I have this and this is what happened. And because of this, 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 and this, that's why I am the way I am. I'm like, okay, I I hear that. Those are things that happened to you. I've got some too. Maybe they're not the same as yours, but we all got them why are you letting that continue to be the thing that directs your whole life and your whole experience and it's so hard to talk to people like that who are really committed to their pain to their trauma and to their problems
1: and you know that's the mind and that's your identity of part of your identity it's trapped in part of your identity and and I guess for anyone that might be in that out there, one of the best ways that you can move through that is to just watch the mind. And, you know, if you're scrolling on Facebook and you see an event come up and your mind says, Oh, I should go do that event. I could be better at that event. Watch your mind and question it and say, Why? You know, why do I have to go do that event? Like, why? Why mind? Why do I have to go to that event? And then you'll keep scrolling. You might see another one. Question it again. And just question everything, question the mind and question where the mind wants to lead you to. And, you know, go back to a principle of being like Buddha, be okay to just sit and be and allow opportunities to come to you because the opportunities that come to you are the ones that are truly for you versus the ones that you chase that you think are right for you and not the ones that are right for you. And that's where a real, I guess, a real kind of healing aspect can come in in that embracing your inner feminine is to just be and to just sit and to really be okay to not chase and not to be action-based and I think that that's probably a bit of a trap for some of us men is to be not only action-based in problem solving but action-based in actually getting self-worth out of action as well and when we can actually flip that and actually know that we have self-worth from a state of being and not in doing action that's quite powerful as well too.
0: Oh, heck yeah, man. I love that word action, you know, and and also I think it's so important to have the full spectrum available because feeling the emotions all the way through is absolutely a component of healing that I think is really important, especially if we're just talking about men. Let's talk about men for a minute that we are taught not to express emotions. We're taught to suppress that, squish it down. That's the macho ideal of manhood and masculinity that so many of us got growing up. And I've also seen a lot of guys who are finally breaking that story in their mind who go all the way into let me experience this emotion as fully and completely as I can and then start to hide out in that place where it's like, I don't want to ever leave this emotional place, whether because it feels good or that becomes safe and being more action oriented. So they look for reasons to stay in the emotional drama of it all. And I mean, that's frustrating for me because my training and the mirrors I've got is, yeah, feel emotions when you need to, but don't let them lead your life. Don't lead an emotional life, experience it, but then keep moving,
1: right? Yeah, agreed. And I think that's probably the place that I've been into recently is you know, really diving into that feminine aspect of myself and really allowing myself to feel the emotions and then being comfortable in that. Be like, oh, I don't actually really want to take a lot of action to move away from this. And then I guess that's where I'm at at the moment to actually step out of that and step back into my true self of of being a male and and then being able to dance between those two. So, yeah, I kind of do things to the extreme, I guess. It's just part of who I am and and where I learn from, part of my design. But yeah, it was actually a beautiful aspect to be able to get in contact with that emotional side of myself. But now now I definitely know the relationship that action has within my life as a man. You know, that's who I am. It's what I need to do. And yeah, I'm starting to redefine my own boundaries and redefine my own actions inside myself. So I'm not hanging out in that place that you spoke about. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's good, man, because I think there's a humbling aspect to hearing you say that for me, because I know there's a part of me that will unconsciously start judging a man who seems to me like he's stuck in his emotional process but then i was hearing you say that and own that and i was like okay well i imagine there's a lot of emotional catch up to do after 270 plus rocket attacks right there's there is some like merit to that you got to catch up to the emotional release after that much trauma so it's a good reminder for me and i think for all of us to never pretend like we know somebody or know their experience that's one of my commitments and you know i forget that at times that you never really know what somebody's traumatic experience is like, and they don't need to have been under enemy fire to experience heavy trauma. There's no way to quantify that, you know?
1: Yeah. And, you know, for me, I think it was about like removing shame and removing that ability to shut my emotions down. Like we, sometimes when emotion comes up as a man, we like to shut it down. And for me, it was being able to sit like in rejection or sit in abandonment in my heart and just be able to hold that in my masculine container And not through doing any work, not in breath work, just being in my lounge room, you know? And if I felt like I had been rejected or if I felt like I'd been abandoned, I could just sit there and cry and allow myself to just cry and cry and cry and allow myself to move through that and then just get up and be like, okay, I'm done, let's go. You know, that's the point that I needed to get to with the relationship within my own emotions. And it's beautiful. Such an amazing place to be at within myself. It's so freeing. Like, you know, I don't ever want to have to hold on to an emotion again and take that out into the world and not have it resolved. You know, I want to feel something come up and just be able to process it entirely and then move forward of that. You know, and I want to actually have that as part of my identity and and what I take out into the world is having a strong container from my, my emotional processes and and show that to the world to be, you know, change or to be a role model in the way that I process my emotions and especially in my relationship as well, too, to be able to to show my partner that, hey, if I'm feeling something really heavy, that I'll take myself away and I'll process that and I'm not going to project that onto my partner. Yeah. I'll be honest, I have. Like, you know, in my last relationship, that was a big part of my healing mechanism was I was in PTSD and I couldn't control my emotions and I'd project a lot of them onto my old partner. You know, and you know, looking back, you know, I, I apologize deeply for some of the projections that I was going through in that healing process. And, you know, that's why I want to take that that radical responsibility to take ownership of my emotions so they don't affect the people around me. But still being vulnerable enough to reach out for support or being held as well too.
0: Oh, yeah, man, I appreciate you saying that because I think that's such an important thing to hear and for you taking ownership of that and just leading by example. That's that's such a really powerful thing. So I acknowledge you for saying that and for sharing it. And it's such a great reminder, I think, all the way across the board is that at the end of the day, we're all human beings and we all have this experience of being a human. So we're liable to experience the whole spectrum of emotions at all times and all different kinds of ways. And if we don't allow ourselves to do that, then we're depriving ourselves of what our body knows to do because resisting the urge to cry, resisting the urge to express anger, to shout out loud, all of these things that we've learned, these conditioned responses are literally disconnecting us from what it means to be human. We're becoming more robotic, I would say, you know, if we're comparing humans and robots, taking some of those stripping away those characteristics and qualities that make us human makes it harder for us to actually behave like humans and to relate and to be empathic and to be loving and compassionate and kind. So I think it's essential. I think the image I had in my mind when you were talking about it was like an emotional pit stop. So like, you know, the race cars, when they like stop in and they get their, you know, the zip, 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 and they take the tires off. It's like, yeah, man, stop, have the emotion, let it happen, go do it. And then get back on the road, you know, maybe it's not 10 seconds, maybe it takes 10 days, but whatever it is, like, get back on the road, because there's still a race to get into. Yeah.
1: You know, I had a... A really huge example of that, I wrote a book, it's called Warrior's War. It's like a healing journey of PTSD. And going through the launch of that book, you know, it was quite a, a big few weeks. Like I was on TV and on the radio, et cetera. And then after the end of that, I just had this huge wound come up. Yeah. And I, I like sat on my couch and cried for like three hours, like nonstop. Yeah. It was like, it was huge. I don't know where it come from. I don't know what it was about, but I just let it be there. And I just allowed myself to hold myself in that. And it was quite the clarity because I was, you know, I was in this action-based guy who was walking around selling this book and doing all these things. And then as, you know, as soon as that finished, I was straight on the couch and crying. So yeah, I just didn't know where that dance come from. But um, I just went with it and I allowed it. And then I got up and I was fine. So you know, I guess probably one of the biggest things is that our emotions don't always have to make sense as well. You know, they don't have to be for a reason. They don't have to be, have a story associated to them. And that's probably the true way of actually truly being in your emotions is not to actually start to process them with a logical mind.
0: Mm. Yeah, which is so tempting to do, right? Because we're these humans with these big brains and we can figure it out and throw logic on it and make sense of it. That's why I love having kids around me. You know, my son is such a great teacher in that because he just went back to school this week and it's a new school. We live in a new area because we just relocated. So new people, new teachers, new environment. And we've done this before, so we knew that it was going to probably be emotional for him, but he comes home after school after what seemed to be a really great day and is just inexplicably emotional, right? Like he's just, he's just feeling not what he's feeling. He's just feeling period and just needed to go through it. And all he needed was my wife and I to just love him and let him know that, Hey, this is okay you know, he was crying in my wife's arms for a little bit and then he was kind of angry. So he was hitting stuff. And fortunately, both my wife and I have learned enough and experienced enough ourselves that we know that that's healthy to support that and nurture that coming out. But It doesn't have to have a rhyme or reason to it. And kids do that really well. They're intuitive. They're connected to their emotions and they just, they can't help it. Right? Like it's hard for kids to suppress emotions until they learn how to do that. And then it's hard to go back.
1: Yeah. And I think one of the greatest examples of that is the child that is like crying one second and laughing the next, you know, that is our true emotional state is to go from sadness to joy. And when we watch a child do that, we're like, yeah, that's amazing. But then if we ever watch an adult do that, we're like, Oh, you know, they're challenged or what's going on with that adult?
0: Bizarre, right? You know?
1: yeah. Well, yeah, well why would they be going from, you know, crying to laughing? But you know, that's the ultimate goal is for us to just be able to process it, leave it and then get up and yeah, and be a child again.
0: It's funny that Memory that's evoked in me is in my 20s when I would do some psychedelics, you know, being on LSD or taking mushrooms, having those moments with other people where you're crying and crying and processing something heavy. And then all of a sudden that crying leads to laughter. And before you know it, I'm just like, you're laughing so hard, you can barely control it. And you're like, what the hell is going on? Or you see somebody else in that process and you're just like, what is going on for that person? It's just such an authentic and genuine feeling space.
1: Absolutely. Yeah memory that's there for me is I was in Bali, in a bud. Have you ever been to a bud yet? In Bali? Not yet. It's not a cool place, bro. So if you come to Australia again, you should try and nip across there. And yeah, I was sitting in a meditation with about sixty people. We're all doing like a big breath work meditation. And I and there's you know, I've done this meditation probably about fifteen times before. Lovely guy that holds it there. His name's Punu. And it's normally a big release. There's a lot of people crying. There's a lot of people going through trauma or circumstances. And I was about 10 minutes into this meditation. And for some reason, Donald Trump come into my mind's eye and I couldn't stop laughing. And I was laughing at Donald Trump at just like his hair and his face and, and just how much, how surreal it was that he was in control of the most powerful country in the world. And I actually kind of liked Donald Trump. And but he was there, and, and I just started laughing, and then I was like, "I can't laugh, everyone's crying, and everyone's processing, so then I was actually you know trying to shut down my laughter, you know, so then I had to allow my laughter to come out, and I had to really allow my laughter to and I was laughing for twenty minutes when everyone else was crying, so but yeah, that's just you know how emotions can play out sometimes it's just an energy within the body, and we just got to allow it, yeah, yeah, big Thank yeah. you to Donald for that one that was yeah, that was good fun.
0: he hooked you up. <laughs> Yeah, it's funny because that brings one more thing and then we'll start wrapping up. All the talk about breathwork just reminds me of uh, I've been fortunate enough to help facilitate. I'm not breathwork certified, but I've been asked to help facilitate in a room and hold space. And so I've been in rooms where there's 100 people doing breath work, and the lights are off and there's like, you know, music going. And you look around and if you just brought in someone off the street and walked them in there, they think they were in like a psych ward they're like, what the hell is going, what did you do to these people? You know, there's people laughing, there's people crying, there's people screaming and roaring and processing all these unprocessed emotions. Even just me having known what to expect, I look around, I'm like, this is fucking crazy. Yeah, <laughs> you know,
1: This is wild. Yeah, I've seen some pretty wild breathworks in my day. And, you know, I guess it's, you know, something that really needs to be respected as well, too, because we can go through some really deep trauma, some really, really deep trauma. And yeah, so for anyone out there that is picking a breathwork facilitator, you know, and if you do have PTSD, you know, be sure to tell your breathwork facilitator about your past history, about being in the military and that you're looking to move through PTSD and, you know, probably try not to go into a big group dynamic straight away. So, you know, you need to honor your body, your nervous system and what you've been through and have respect for the breathwork facilitator as well too. I've been in some circumstances where I've been holding breath work and had a gentleman there who had tried to commit suicide and he was reliving his trauma in breath work, like he was back in it. So, you know, there can be very, very real stuff. So yeah, just a level of respect for the facilitator and for the person that's going into it as well too. Yeah.
0: I appreciate you saying that, man, because just like in any work, right, whether it's breath work or we're talking about plant ceremonies, medicine journeys, all this stuff, really making sure you have a good understanding of who's leading you on that journey. That's part of that, taking that responsibility, right? Is asking the right questions to take care of yourself. Because unfortunately there are people out there who probably aren't qualified, definitely aren't qualified to hold space at a certain level so that's also the responsibility like you said to be forthcoming and say hey i've got this going on this is part of my history making sure that the person feels confident they can hold that down for you because yeah it it is just breathing right on a simple mechanical level and it's amazing how powerful of a modality that can be and what it brings up
1: yeah i'd just like to say lastly like I'm actually starting to step out of the trauma space a little bit. You know, it just feels right for me at the moment because I have lived so much trauma and I've worked in so much trauma recently that, you know, I I actually wanted to just kind of be more creative. And, you know, I've written a book and I've published some really amazing meditations on Inside Timer, free uh, meditations on Inside Timer for anyone that might be listening to this, that, that they will step you through a process of nearly how to like, really truly understand your PTSD. Uh, they're free. You can get them from your home at any point. But yeah, I'm stepping more into creating courses for men and being that creative guy, being in my creative like kind of zone and helping men launch their truths out into the world in a digital format, which feels a lot lighter for me. And you know, I'll always have probably like a a need to jump back into that work at some point into the trauma space and really hold people in that. And I still do talks and I'm still associated in that area. But as far as like really holding people deeply in that container, I'm giving myself a bit of a break and giving myself some bit of a space to just kind of enjoy my life for a little bit and not be so deeply embedded into that work. And then as I feel called to, I'll step back into that space. So I am a human and I need to take ownership of what I've been through and, and give myself a bit of joy and give myself some a light for years, if that makes sense as well.
0: Totally does, man. I really honor the self-awareness and the decisiveness to claim that for you, knowing what you needed and taking care of yourself. I think that's also a big part of manhood and masculinity. So beautiful, brother. I'll give you a chance to tell everybody where to find out about those other offerings that you have coming up in a second. Let me ask you a couple of quick lightning questions and then we'll tie it up with a bow. Sound good? Yeah, brother. All right. So, what is one thing you've learned in your life that you wish you knew when you were 18?
1: Hmm. Ooh. To be patient, not to act from a place of the mind, not to chase stuff, to wait for the world to come to you. Mm. All right. And what do you think is the most important value
0: to have as a man? Just to be heart centered. And if you're in your heart, all other values will be influenced through that. Awesome, bro. And so last but not least, man, where can people follow you, find you, get involved with these offerings you were just talking about? You can find
1: uh, Warrior's War on Amazon or Booktopia. So just Warrior's War by Matthew Bruce. And then the Men's Work Collective is the digital agency that we're building. It's like a brotherhood for courses. It's, it's beautiful, man. It's like this digital online space where we're putting all of this men's work and coaches are coming to us that... You know, they might be a concrete or a, a carpenter, or they mightn't actually have ever used a computer before, or they could be a developed coach, like a really, really strong coach who just wants to outsource. And we've got this really amazing format to be able to put the, the message out into the world on Kajabi, and and it's really, really cool. So. Yeah, really blessed to be able to hold that and and just be gifted with that idea and to just kind of bring that forward,
0: which is pretty cool. I love that, man. And I could see the grin on your face. It sounds like it's something that really lights you up and a beautiful way to give back and helping other men amplify their voice and their service. That's awesome, man. I really appreciate that. Awesome, bro. Well, thank you so much for being on here today, taking the time to share your journey and your story. It's really clear to me that you've done a tremendous amount of work to heal yourself and to then take that healing that you've experienced and give it back to others, man, is really so admirable to me. I really admire that. And, grateful grateful for your being here grateful for your everything that you've done to make this world a better place
1: thank you brother i uh, really received that and thank you for your work and thank you for this podcast and the opportunity to put my voice out there and to hopefully help some of the brothers and sisters in america as well too so you know, as i mentioned earlier that's pretty heavy for my heart americans yeah so big love to you all and thank you
0: It was such an honor to have Matthew on the podcast today. You know, he reached out to me and said, hey, can I be a guest on your podcast? I really didn't know anything about him. And I told him that. And I said, something in my gut told me that we had to have Matthew on the show. And once I learned a little bit more about his message and his experience and the well of wisdom that he has to offer for healing for other people, it was a no brainer. And to me, I'm so glad that he took the time. I'm honored to have had him on the show grateful that he was so transparent and insightful with his experiences and how he articulated his path to healing and what he thinks other people can do to heal themselves. So if you're out there and you are someone suffering from severe trauma, if you're somebody who knows someone suffering from severe trauma, it's important that you know that there are resources there for you and resources for these folks that you love, that it's not hopeless, that even someone with severe trauma can overcome that. It is a long road back, it's not easy, it's not pretty, but there is a way, so don't give up. Don't give up, because you're loved, we need you. We're counting on having a full squad that is done their healing. Whether you're out to war or you grew up in an abusive household, regardless of what the source of your trauma is or how big or small you think it is, it's important to do that work. So a part of doing that work is becoming a bigger part of a community where you can be safe to share your experience. So, join us inside the fire circles. Join us for a compass initiation. Join us inside of our inferno team that launches every six weeks for a 12 week journey into being on a men's team with myself and other experienced men. Whatever opportunity is calling you most, there are so many. (laughs) There are so many, but the ones we offer are at risingman.org. So, go check those out, as well as all the links and resources to Matthew, his work, his book, and all the other episodes that we've had ever since the beginning, they're all living at risingman.org. Also, wherever you're listening to this podcast, please subscribe and follow us so that you're getting the downloads every time we drop an episode, the Monday mornings on Monday, the interviews every Thursday, and all the special episodes that we sneak in there in between. So make sure you subscribe and send us some messages, send us some comments about how the episodes are landing for you. I always love reading those. I read every single one and I get back to every single one of you guys who messages me. So if you wanna just start a dialogue, hit me up on Instagram. You can try me on Facebook too. I'm not as consistent there. I will own that but definitely on Instagram at my personal Insta at Jetty Azuma, but also on our Rising Man account at Rising Man Movement. You can hit me and the fellas up there too. Check out our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash the Rising Man Movement. We're going to be putting a lot more content up in that portal coming in the next six months or so. We've got some big plans to do some big things, so make sure you subscribe now so you don't miss out on that. Shout out to the team, Rowan, Sean, Julian, Ryan, and Mark. I love you fellas. You know that. I'll just say it again like I do every time. And everybody else out there, until next time, rise up and claim your destiny.